back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? Ready? Are you ready for place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league? I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's, here's your host, host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the seventh day of March. Hope you all had a great weekend. As we start to knock on wood, but truly phase out of the craziness that has been this pandemic over the last uh, two years. But, you know, on a day and time that should be so celebratory, because this normally... Each year I come on and talk about how this is one of my favorite times in the calendar, the sports calendar. And I talk about how in October and March, those are my two favorite times of the calendar because in October you have everything converging with the World Series. You're getting into the heart of uh, the football season and the NBA and the NHL are getting going. Well, in March, you have NFL free agency about to get started in the next week. Today, uh, being a deadline for franchise tags. We're in the heart of an NBA season that has been disappointing in this area, but by a large part has been very exciting. An NHL season, um, that looks like it's uh, going to have a great finish. The NCAA tournament about to get going in 10 days. But what's missing? What's missing from all of this excitement? All of this happiness? This joy that should be going on in the sports world? That's right. My favorite sport is still not available for us. That being... Major League Baseball. And our nightmare scenario has only just began. You know, a week ago, I was sitting here talking about the ridiculousness of that deadline that the owners had set with the players to get a CBA done in order to start the season on time. And I was saying... Just get the deal done. Now, both try to compromise and make a deal that will make both sides happy because clearly the players are not budging here and the owners have to give something back. They've taken advantage of the players a little bit too much in the last two collective bargaining agreements. And when I went to bed about a week ago, uh, ten, you know, just a week ago tonight, 
I was actually feeling pretty good about things. You no, know, I was following uh, the guys to follow on social media, such as MLB Network's uh, John Heyman and uh, uh, USA Today's Bob Nightingale, who were giving up-to-the-minute updates uh, on uh, this. few others, you know, the likes of Buster Ole and Ken Rosenthal as well. But Bob Nightingale seemed to be the one that was mostly on top of it. And if you're following him uh, last Monday, you know, the fact that this was going into the wee hours of the morning and there was discussions between the Players Association and the MLB owners for north of 15 hours, you're thinking, all right, something is going to get done here. And lo and behold, about 12 hours later, it turned out that that was just a smokescreen, that that was just a mirage set up by the owners to try and gain favoritism in the court of public opinion to try and you know win the the, uh, the battle of public opinion so that they didn't have to look like the bad guys when ultimately well, later in the day Rob Manfred would make the announcement of the first two series of the season being canceled with no intention of those games being made up. And first off, you know, a lot of people I saw, whether it's fans or reporters on social media or well-known people on social media were whining and complaining that Manfred was outside doing, you know, practice golf swings. No, that, that more so didn't bother me. What really had me aggravated was his press conference after the players unanimously voted down what the owners were referring to as their best and final offer, which turned out really was not their best. They didn't budge on anything and uh, pretty much stayed status quo on everything they were offering to the players. He's standing up there laughing acting like this is one big old comedy show. You know, for, for all of us out there that are annoyed and, and mad, we want to blame this on Manfred, but you got to remember, he works for the owners. The 30, the 30 owners in this sport, they're his bosses. So he's just the front man. He takes the slings and arrows. He takes uh, the... the uh, the hits for them. But when he's out there yucking it up with the media, laughing like it's one big good old time, not a great look. And this is coming off of a guy that poorly handled the Houston Astros investigation and lack of punishments two years ago uh, with the sign stealing scandal. Pissed off the players, not just with the fact that he didn't really punish anyone on the Houston Astros itself outside of A.J. Hinge and Jeffrey Lunau. 
and then referred to when asked if considering uh, the stripping of the, them of the World Series was in question, just referred to it as a you know piece of metal. I mean that this is this is a horrible time, horrible situation for the sport because opening day has always been viewed as kind of an unofficial holiday in the baseball landscape. You know, that and the Super Bowl, always viewed by sports fans as, as an unofficial holiday. And now we have no idea when that's coming because these two sides, you know, what's funny, they'll agree when it comes to things on the field. You know, they, they've agreed to the universal DH. They've agreed that starting in 2023, which at this point, that looks like might be the next time we're going to get baseball, to having uh, the shifts banned to a uh, pitch clock. And they've agreed that they'll stay status quo when it comes to umpires rather than uh, switching to, quote, robot umpires. But there's two things that they keep fighting on. You know, the players have seemingly given in on the Super 2 status and, you know, wanting the league minimum raised all the way from, I believe it was at 615 grand, wanting it raised all the way to 775. You know, which to me... uh, shouldn't seem like such a big deal when you consider the net worth of some of these owners out there. But the owners have not really given the players any anything back. No, they've done nothing when it comes to uh, adjusting you know, arbitration statuses or helping to fix you know, teams... intentionally tanking for draft pick uh, compensation and they haven't budged one bit, which is the biggest thing that is holding things up on the the, uh, competitive balance tax, which they continue to have it sit at 220 million and not having it incrementally raise over the next three years and I think letting it get at highest to being uh, like 230 by the end of this potential CBA, which these owners, they, they got to look in the mirror and realize, look at you know the baseball landscape. Look at this country right now. You know, prices on everything are just going up, not going down. Now, you, you look at it, Max Scherzer just got a contract where he's getting paid $43 million a year. Garrett Cole is getting paid $39 million, somewhere between $36 and $39 million a year. You think that's just going to be the last of those kind of deals? No. There's going to be more star, stud-type pitchers that come along. Hell, look at some of the contracts that have been given out recently, the likes of Fernando Tatis Jr., Bryce Harper, uh, you know Mike Trout's contract extension uh, a couple of years ago. Imagine what Juan Soto 
is going to be able to ask for. Or, you know, the next time Ronald Acuna Jr. is up for a contract, what he's going to be looking for. The price on these star contracts is not going down anytime soon. And you know what the big problem is? You know, people from the outside will look and say, oh, it's players versus owners. The way I look at this, this is more so owners versus owners. When you take into account that there are the big market clubs like the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs, um, you know, you want to throw the Phillies in the mix there. They've been spending the last couple of years. The you know, where it's truly the big baseball hotbeds and the, those that sport is competing for the number one spot all the time. Those owners, I don't think truly care about going over the competitive balance tax as far as putting a winning product on the field where they care in the case of a Hal Steinbrenner, they're saying, why should I pay more than $220 million and get taxed for it? It go to these smaller market clubs and they're not even putting those resources back into the club. That owner, while he has the, the means maybe not to spend up toward where I'm at, he definitely has the means to spend, you know, somewhere in the 90 to $115 million range, and he just puts it in their pocket. And that's the problem. You have too many of these small market clubs, these small market ownerships that are shouting down any chance of a CBT going up north of $230 million. They saw what... Steve Cohen did before the lockout and that they want to gain uh, control over these big market clubs. There's more of them than there is of the big market teams. They want to make sure that there's not another George Steinbrenner or at least if there is that that um, owner is going to be heavily taxed. So that's what the problem we're dealing with right now is you have owners versus owners. And my problem with these small market owners is, you know, take the Pirates, for example. They have a, a payroll of, you know, $27, 28000000 million. And then they, you know, places like that have the gall to comp- try to cry poverty saying, oh, I can't afford to keep uh, my players. You know, they all just try to hope that they have the situation that the Royals had years back where they continue to treat it as a tax write-off and then eventually there's that year where they get lucky, a bunch of young kids come up at the same time and then they can have a five to six year window before they just let them go or trade them and make it a tax write-off again until, you know, they get lucky once again. You know, quite frankly, and while, listen, you want to argue that the players are at some fault here, I get it. A 
lot of that is coming from people who are just jealous of the fact that these guys are getting paid to play a kid's sport. And it's something that every Joe Schmo out there thinks that they could do when they really can't. I get that. But to me, this is more about owners versus owners. The small market owners wanting to keep the big market owners in control and then having the goal to complain poverty when they can't afford their star player anymore. They want to treat this CBT as a quasi-salary cap, which, fine, you want to go there, you want to put this at $240 million? fine, be, be my guest. But at the same time, there should be something that taxes or penalizes these small market clubs. Either spend money on your team or get the hell out because you do more harm for baseball, in my opinion, than these big market clubs ever do. And until something like that is resolved, we're going to just keep sitting here waiting for this great sport to get back on the field. All right, a lot to get to over the next about 40 minutes or so here. Uh, give you some uh, thoughts on uh, John Morant's incredible run, the slides of the the Nets and Warriors, uh, mixing some football as well as uh, some things going on in college sports. So glad you could join me this week. Please sit back, relax, help put your feet up if you feel like doing so, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Now, last week at this time, I was discussing the MVP candidacy of DeMar DeRozan with the surprisingly great season that the Bulls have. No, I say surprising because I don't, I don't think anyone prior to the year had the Bulls as a top four team in the Eastern Conference. Well, I think the same needs to be said out West when it comes to the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, I had them as being a playoff team again uh, th- this year, but did not think that they were 
ready to ascend into one of those top spots, one of those top tier spots as far as you know, things break right for them, potentially coming out of the uh, Western Conference. And a lot of that is thanks to you know, their young star, Ja Morant, who's you know, been nothing short of a walking highlight reel. You know, every every time he, you think you've seen everything from this kid, he comes out and and tops himself. And just last week, he uh, you know in consecutive nights uh, set the uh, Memphis Grizzlies consecutive uh, or um, single game scoring record, including having the first fifty point game in uh, the franchise's history. And you look at since the All Star break. He's averaging over 36 points a game, uh, shooting um, 46% from behind the arc. You want to take it back a little bit further. Since January 19th, he's averaging about 34 points a game, shooting 51%, uh, doing a lot of this without his uh, Robin on the team in uh, Dylan Brooks. And, you know... I talked about a second ago, he's shooting 46% from behind the three-point arc. He's not commonly known as a great three-point shooter. I mean, on the season, he was only shooting 34%. And as of late, he's just been on fire and helped the Memphis Grizzlies move into a tie for the number two spot out in the Western Conference. Now, a lot of that is not just because of John Morant. You know, sometimes when a team goes on a great run, as uh, the Grizzlies have done you know, since uh, December 27th, they are 21 and 7. Now, some of that is due to what they're doing, but a lot of it can be due to a team going into a slump, a team ahead of them going into a slide. You you look back at around Christmas time, the Golden State Warriors were in the top spot of the Western Conference. They were at twenty seven and six. They um, had been on a roll. The, you know, people talking about oh, they're about to get Clay Thompson back. You know, we haven't even seen James Wiseman yet, and hell, we still have not seen James uh, Wiseman. He might be in the witness protection agency at this point. But since then, you look at what's happened with the Warriors. They lose Draymond Green to consecutive injuries, a, initially a calf inj- issue, which then, after only taking a couple of games off, he comes back and it resulted in him uh, dealing with uh, some disc issues in his lower back. Now he's uh, been out since early January. And in the time without Draymond, they've gone 15 and 15, have lost eight of their last 10. And you're starting to see it affect Steph Curry a bit as well. When you include the fact that, you know, that this uh, team that's, Without a lot of size to it to begin with. I mean, their tallest guy is Kavon Looney at 6'9. 
you have Clay Thompson, who's clearly still showing some rust after, and that should be expected. He missed two years of game action. And now everyone's focusing their attention on Steph. And you look at last week, they lose to Dallas Mavericks in a game in which Steph Curry, for the first time in his career, plays all 12 minutes in the fourth quarter. Doesn't score one point. Doesn't even take one shot attempt. Not going to win many games when your lead star is uh, held with a double bagel like that in the fourth quarter. And now the Warriors with this slide, it's, it's allowed Phoenix to take a commanding lead in the for first in the Western Conference. And remember, the, the Suns are doing this at a time where Devin Booker's been in and out of the lineup. They've been without Chris Paul since the All-Star break. Probably going to be without him for the rest of the regular season. You know, you know Draymond Green being out for this team is a big um, issue, big hindrance. Because Draymond, he's capable of defending all five positions. He's capable of playing all five. Um, four of the five positions on offense. And let's face it, even though Steph is technically considered the point guard, he's more of a points guard. And Draymond is the one that's bringing the ball up and down uh, the court and setting up plays for uh, this team. And that, that has really hurt this offense being without him for the majority of the last two months. I mean, you look at it, Saturday night was a perfect chance for a get-right game for them. And it looked like for a while it was going to be that case. They had a double-figure lead on the Lakers in L.A. in the first half and let that slip away. A lot of it due to the, you know, what more can you say about them at this point? The historic all world you know clock defining uh performance by LeBron James with his 13th 50 point game of his career putting up 56 uh on Saturday night becoming the um oldest player to uh put up 55 points in NBA history joining Michael, Kobe, and surprisingly Jamal Crawford as the only players uh, in uh, league history to score 50 or more in a game past age 37. And, you know, the Lakers had been reeling in their own right. I mean, in this disappointing season that they're having, uh, they they had lost 11 of their last 14 games, had lost four straight coming out of the All-Star break. You would have figured that this was a time for the Warriors to get things right, but... You know, LeBron wasn't having any of that. I mean, the Lakers, the Lakers are just holding on for dear life just to make it into the play-in scenario. Right now, we sit here, they would have to win two games in a row in the play-in just to make it to the playoffs. And, you know, without Anthony Davis, with the fact that after the next three games, their schedule starts to get tough. I mentioned last week, they have the second most difficult schedule in the league throughout the rest of the season. And then 
the inner turmoil that is going on with uh, this team right now. The fact that you know you have tension brewing between Russell Westbrook and Frank Convogel. Uh, they, they supposedly got into uh, uh, some you know, tense moments during a, a film session on Friday. And I'm surprised. You know, Russell Westbrook is a weird personality as it is. But even the way he's acting lately has surprised me. The fact that you know, there's been a lot of push from within the Lakers organization from people that, quite frankly, should not have any control, any say whatsoever. I mean, Kirk Rambis and his wife seem to have too much power in the Lakers organization. I don't even know if they have official front office titles or they're just given titles uh, by relationship based on uh, Kirk's wife being uh, best friends with Jeannie Buss. But there's been a lot of push from uh, uh, the inner workings of the organization for Frank Vogel to bring Russell Westbrook off the bench, and he's not doing that. He's showing support for his guy, thinking that he could go on a late-season run here. And instead, Westbrook's trying to make an enemy out of him. Like, no, but as I said, he's a weird personality. And he's always been a guy that I've been a fan of his intensity on the court because there's way too much of this we're all best friends thing going on in the NBA. And he, you know, for 48 minutes, he ain't having any of that. he, I don't even think he views his teammates as friends when uh, they're playing. He he views it almost like going to war. But you know, th- having tense moments with Frank Vogel, I, I don't get it. And then this war that he's seemingly going through with the media right now. You know, last week he's he's asked kind of a hypothetical question by a member of the media. Um, Basically asks, is this what you in, envisioned or you couldn't have envisioned uh, uh, this? And Westbrook snaps at him saying, oh, what did, what did I in, envision? I mean, he, tr- he tried to belittle the guy, tried to, quite frankly, make the guy look like an ass. And you know, the, really the only person there that looked like an ass was Russell Westbrook. I mean, you knew what the guy was intending to ask. You just decided to be like a, be a, a, one giant pain in the ass there. So I I was kind of surprised he took that route there. But no, that no, that would have been a perfect time for the Warriors to take advantage of a team, and they still w- were not able to do so. And then, of course, there's my team, the Brooklyn Nets, who now we sit here. And the Nets are a game under 500 because they've lost 17 of their last 20 games. A lot of that due to being without what I consider the best player um, in basketball, Kevin Durant. But he's been back the last two games, put up over 30 in each of the last two games, including yesterday's 37-point performance. And they still have not picked up a victory um, since his return. You know, Kyrie Irving got the treatment that you would expect him to get 
uh, returning up to Boston, and Ben Simmons still is nowhere to be found. They claim they claim he'll be in the city of brotherly love this Thursday when the the Nets uh, go to Wells Fargo to play the Sixers. But as for actually playing, no, we're gonna keep hiding Ben Simmons until the most opportune, advantageous uh, time for us. I mean, it's just it's a disaster what's going on with the Nets right now between. Kyrie not being able to play home games because of the COVID situation or the vaccination uh, status. Uh, James Harden, let's face it, he quit on the Nets uh, about six, seven weeks ago, and that's where this slide really began. Then they get Simmons, and he can't even play for them right now. And the, the Nets lead the league. To show you how little uh, cohesiveness there is with this team, you realize they lead the league in most starting lineups or different starting lineups so far this season. Yesterday was their 36th different starting lineup this year. Now, between that, between the fact that up until recently when they got Drummond, they really have not had any physicality inside You've had guys in and out of the lineup due to injury, not just Durant, but Aldridge, Claxton. Joe Harris is uh, out for the year, and that's forced Patty Mills to be a starter when he's been better as a reserve. I mean, it's just a disaster with the Nets. And, you know, quite frankly, it covers up what should have been the story uh, yesterday, and that was an amazing performance by Jason Tatum. As he puts up uh, 54 points, his fourth 50-point game of his young career, already matching uh, uh, Larry Bird as far as Celtics with 50-point games. And while the Nets continue to slide, the Celtics continue to be on the rise. They've won uh, 16 out of their last 19, have gone uh, from being a team whether you wonder if they got to break up Brown and Tatum, whether they are even going to make the postseason. Now they're uh, only four and a half behind the Heat for the first place spot and sitting at fifth in the East. And a lot of it, not just is due to this offensive explosion Tatum's been on, but their defense. You you, you look at when it comes to starting lineups in, in the league, you, know, you take their starting five, Tatum, Brown, Horford, uh, Marcus Smart, and uh, Robert Williams III. When they're on the court together, they're only average allowing 89 points per game. That is the best in the league right now. And you know, they say you know, defense wins championships. Well, in the NBA, that can still ring true. Even in this era where we're seeing night after night incredible offensive displays, now you show a little effort, tenacity, uh, hunger, and toughness, defense can still uh, rule the day. And you know that this would be more of a story, I think, not just in Boston, but nationally, as far as what the Celtics are doing. If it wasn't for the fact that the Nets are slight, you know, if the Nets were just cruising along and 
say we're 500 over those 20 games without Durant, no, the entire story would be about um, the Celtics yesterday and how Tatum and company overcame uh, what was viewed but shouldn't anymore be viewed as a title contender, title favorite in the Eastern Conference. But because this the, the Nets you know, can't get out of their own way and who knows what the status day-to-day on Ky- both Kyrie and Ben Simmons is, the Nets continue to be the bigger story and rule the headlines. And, you know, as a fan, I hope they wake up at some point. But right now, it really is sad what they're uh, going through, especially at a time where, you know, free agency hasn't started yet in the NFL. For me, the Devils are a disaster. And uh, baseball, who knows if or when we're ever going to get that. All right, got to take another break here. Come back on the other side. Turn my attention to the NFL. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. All right. Welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3 on this Monday afternoon. Remember, as always, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter, at Instagram and Facebook. Facebook, you'll find uh, this podcast on facebook.com slash keeping sports with M3. Uh, you can find both the uh, video version of the podcast as well as the uh, links to all the podcast versions in case you don't feel like staring at me for an hour or so. You can also find the links to the podcast on Twitter, my personal Twitter account, at M3Rosansky, and my uh, Twitter account for this podcast, at Keeping It Sports, and find me on Instagram. My Instagram link is M3ForLife, and my uh, Instagram for the podcast is Keeping underscore it, underscore sports, underscore with, underscore M3. So those are all the places you can uh, f- 
find me on social media. Now, in the last week in the NFL, as we're about to hit this firestorm that is NFL free agency and you know every team out there gets to you know dream fantasize about their favorite team making the big moves that will put them over the top well the other part of this offseason that's important is the NFL draft and as we prepare for the NFL draft coming up at the end of April always comes up what to me comes off as kind of a clown show in some aspects, the NFL Combine. Because there is the good when it comes to the NFL Combine. You you see the players run their their 40 times. Some of these wide receivers, like, damn. You you watch these videos and you're, you're like, are you sure that they did not hit the fast-forward button on – Guys like Chris Olave when they're running their 40s and you're seeing four guys do it under 4.3 seconds. Or even, you know, big defensive linemen able to do that in like 4.7 seconds. I mean, the guys from Georgia, the you know, running their 40s were incredible. You saw the offensive lineman uh, Evan Neal, believe his name is from Alabama a he of uh, 300 and uh, like 40 pounds and he's running it in about a four six I mean, just incredible and then you you see uh what some of these guys can bench press now we've seen at times guys be workout warriors and it not result in anything on uh, the NFL level. You now, my team has been fooled by this quite a couple times. You know, you take the likes of Quinn Coples or, um, or you know, Pryor um, as well. You know, a couple other guys along the way that fooled us into drafting them with first overall, first round picks. But some of the annoying things when it comes to the NFL Combine are. The questions that they ask these players, and we've seen in the past, you know, they, they go way too far with some of these somewhat personal questions they'll ask the players. But then the, the, the what's treated as a big deal is them measuring the hand size of these quarterbacks. And, you know, newsflash for everyone, in case you didn't see it on ESPN, it actually came across as breaking news that... Pittsburgh's Kenny Pickett has smaller hands than any active NFL quarterback at eight and a half inches. Really? This is what we're doing now? We're going to judge a guy's ability based on his hand size? And and the fact that, oh, no first-round quarterback in the last five years has measured under nine inches from thumb to pinky since the combine started doing uh, this measurement. Yeah. You know what I'm going to judge him on the fact that in his senior year at Pittsburgh, he threw for over 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns, just one interception and was able to get a rule change as he was going out the door. 
The kid put up stellar work. Judge him by his physical performance. Judge him arm strength, accuracy, you know, IQ when you put him in front of the whiteboard and you, you ask him to draw up a situation, excuse me. Not based on the fact on, on what his hand size is when you measure from the thumb to the pinky. I mean, some of this stuff, people, we're just getting stupid on. And it, it really is. I, I can't wait till we get to NFL free agency so we can really talk about what, what's uh, going on around the sport. Like, the what should have been the bigger news, um, rather than Kenny Pickett's hand size, is uh, the turnover that's going on in Dallas. And how they're likely going to need to cut a few of their uh, star players in order to make room on the salary cap because they've got guys like Randy Gregory, uh, Dalton Schultz, uh, Vander Esch, and Dron Curse coming up for uh, free agency. And currently they're projected to be $21 million over the cap. And, you know, that could be helpful and useful for teams like my own in the Jets that have a lot of lot of salary cap and potentially feasting on guys looking to get paid, the guys that are going to get cut in the likes of, of you know Demarcus Lawrence. They're going to be uh, looking for him to take a huge pay cut. He's not likely to take it and will probably get cut. Also, that this one... This one is more so surprising than if D-Law gets cut. Is they're likely to uh, release Amari Cooper before the the new league year on March 20th when he's due $20 million guaranteed. And if they cut him before then, it would only cut, it would only count as $6 million against their salary cap. No, Amari Cooper... A lot of people will criticize him, and at times rightly so, because he has a habit of, you know, fading. I think it's fair to say in road games, especially road prime time games. But there's no doubt that he has been a very important piece in the development of Dak Prescott. I, you know, they traded for Cooper seven games into the 2018 season. Look at this. Since they acquired Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, it's almost night and day uh, with Cooper as to when he's without Cooper, whether it be due to injury or last season when he missed two games uh, due to uh, COVID. Without Amari Cooper, the Cowboys are three and six. The team only scores 20 points a game. Dak has a 63% completion percentage. Throws for only about 223 yards and a passer rating of 86. With Amari Cooper, the Cowboys were 12 games over 500 at 28 and 16. Scored 29 points a game. Dak's completion percentage was at about 68%, threw for almost 300 yards a game, and had a passer rating of just under 103. He's been a very vital, important part of that offense. Listen, no, you, know, you got C.D. Lamb, who's 
a young emerging star there. But you, you look at their receiver core as far as free agents are concerned. Cedric Wilson's about to be a free agent. Michael Gallup's about to be a free agent, but he tore his ACL uh, late last year. And it, by the sound of things, they're going to cut Amari Cooper just so that they can spend less and keep Michael Gallup, who, while he's a, a good deep threat, is not on Amari Cooper's level as a receiver. Now, to me, it does not make a lot of sense from a talent standpoint. I get it from a financial standpoint, although I do think it's still a mistake here. They should have you know, spent their money wiser. Now, to me, I look at it when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. The guy that they should be cutting ties with is Ezekiel Elliott because we've seen Elliott's performance go down each of the last two years. Now, the, and especially when you have a guy in Tony Pollard who is performing better than Zeke with and getting less touches than Zeke per game, who Cowboy fans are calling into every TV and radio station uh, begging for Tony Pollard to get more touches per game. That's the guy you should be cutting loose. But they're, you know, Jerry and Stephen Jones are just too in love with a guy that they used a fourth-round draft pick on, or fourth overall draft pick on, excuse me, who, let's face it, since he got that contract, has not lived up to the money. So, you know, I think the Cowboys are making a mistake here. I would keep Cooper around and cut Elliott. But, you know, if Cooper does get cut before March 20th, Maybe something you should look into, Jets. I mean, look at some of these other young quarterbacks in the sport, how they exploded when they got that weapon added to their arsenal. Look at how life changed for Josh Allen when he got Stephon Diggs. Look at how Kyler Murray's performance uh, increased when he got DeAndre Hopkins. Now, you've got to put weapons around your young quarterback if you want them to develop. Now, Charles Barkley was very much right with the comments that he made about Aaron Rodgers last week. Now, each and every single day, it seems like it's something new with Aaron Rodgers. And he said one on uh, the Waddle and uh, Sylvie uh, show on ESPN uh, 1000. I, I say this about Aaron Rodgers. I think he's the pretty girl that you got to tell her she's pretty every day. I'm starting to think that. I'm starting to think he's uh, like that girl. Oh, I don't look good today. Now, where seemingly Rogers has got to put himself in the headlines each and every single moment of every day. You know, especially with some of the things he says on the Pat McAfee show. But you know what? At least Aaron Rodgers has earned the right to this attention. At least he's earned the the right to this curiosity about his future. Can can someone please tell me what Kyler Murray has done to earn that kind of attention? And you know, how it's a soap opera with him each and every single day? The latest being a week ago, as soon as I got done recording this podcast, his agent, Eric Burthart, 
Burkhart, excuse me, came out with this written statement to Arizona, quote, Arizona Cardinal fans and the great community of the Valley, which first off, if you look at it, I don't, I'm not even sure what font they're putting this in. Secondly, why is the entire statement in capital letters? It's, it's like you're shouting it out at us. That didn't make sense. And then, you know, it, it's almost like a list of combination of promises and demands coming from Kyler Murray, where you know he's telling them how desperately he wants to be the Cardinals quarterback long term and win them a Super Bowl. And you know, at the same time, his agent, who also happens to be the agent of uh, Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury, uh, uh, saying that for the best for the franchise's long-term stability, that they should uh, give him a contract extension, and that he, uh, he and his client sent a detailed contract proposal to the Cardinals saying that it's in line with the current quarterback uh, market, but lowers his uh, 2022 to 2023 salary cap number to allow them to re-sign, quote, other deserving teammates and add additional free agents. Oh, aren't you just a model citizen? Yeah, you, you're, you're only bringing that up because you know what the rest of us know. The cap keeps going up each year. So there's going to be more room for him to have his teammates and other free agents sign onto this roster. And this is things like this. And let's face it, Eric Burkhart is not going rogue on this. He's not doing this without Kyler knowing about this. Continue to show the immaturity and the mental instability I hate the joke about this of Kyler Murray and how you no, know, he's been given a little bit too much power in that organization too soon. I mean, who is he to be making demands on uh, you know contract extensions? You know, it's it's one thing if say with Lamar Jackson how his contract is coming up with the Ravens and how. The general manager, Eric DaCosta, desperately wants to get something done with Lamar, but is kind of in a wait-and-see mode, waiting for Lamar to come to him, considering last offseason, uh, Lamar and his people were kind of holding off on a contract, and now, after missing the final six games of last year, you're wondering, when's he going to finally step forward and look for his new deal? It'd be one thing if Lamar Jackson was doing this because he's been to the postseason. He's won playoff games. He's been a league MVP. And you know, he's had that organization seamlessly uh, transition from Joe Flacco to him. And he sees what his contemporary Josh Allen got uh, and he deserves a contract um, in that same realm, somewhere between six hundred um, um, six years for two hundred and fifty four to two hundred and seventy million dollars. But I don't understand where the hell Kyler Murray thinks he's coming from. He's had a 
good first three seasons in this league. But his numbers aren't eye-popping. His numbers aren't, you know, wow, that's MVP every year kind of numbers. And you look at 2019, 3,700 yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 64% completion percentage. 2020, uh, 3,900 yards, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, uh, 67% completion percentage. Then last year, just under 3,800 yards, uh, 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 69% completion percentage, and he missed three games due to injury. And that's a key thing here because this kid is missing time almost every year seemingly to some kind of injury, some kind of issue. Because, and you know, that's the thing that you're worried about with him coming out of college because he is such a small quarterback. You now, someone's got to, you know, get in this kid's head and tell him to wake the hell up. You now, if I'm the Cardinals and I'm seeing this today, I'm calling his agent and telling him this never happens again. No more of this social media stuff. Otherwise, what we'll do is he's heading into the fourth year of his rookie contract. We'll just pick up the fifth-year option and then franchise tag him for a couple of years after that. And let's see if your client stays healthy and makes it to free agency and keeps slowly elevating his performance after that. Because, no, if he suffers one more hit and gets another injury, he's going to start being viewed as injury prone. And it's one thing when you're, you know, 6'4", 230 pounds, and you're taking these kind of blows. You know, teams will take risks on that. But 5'9", a buck 80, and having a a somewhat immature bad attitude, teams are not going to want to take that chance especially with the way he's acted in uh, recent weeks and months. All right, going to take one last break here, come back on the other side, close things out for this week. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping Sports with M3. No, 
I couldn't not for the life of me believe that this actually happened. But I know it's a smaller school, it's an HBCU, and they don't get enough or a lot of national attention, although you know, Deion Sanders and his work at Jackson State are you know, doing a lot to change the perception of HBCUs, especially in uh, college football. But I was quite frankly stunned when the, the news came out a couple of weeks ago that Grambling State had chosen to hire Art Bryles as their offensive coordinator. Art Bryles, if you remember, is the former head coach of um, Baylor. And while he was at Baylor, he had a lot of success. They they went 65-37, and 37, won two big... 12 championships, made appearances in New Year's Six and BCS Bowls, had you know, a lot of success at, at Baylor, even with not having you know, great quarterbacks, guys that would go on to be stars in, in the NFL, having you know, good enough college uh, quarterbacks. And kind of you know, changed the way some schools look at offense uh, in college football. But then came the bad side, came after what was a very solid, successful eight-year run for him. We would start to learn of the ugliness going on in that program when in May of 2016, he was initially suspended and then fired due to an independent investigation into Baylor's handling of sexual assault allegations there, tied toward two players in particular, uh, Tavon Elliott and uh, Sam Ukawachu. Elliott, who was um, arrested on multiple charges of illegal sexual contact with a woman um, in uh, 2012, and then later, four more women came forward with accusations against him. And then Ukawachu, who was originally a transfer from, I believe, Boise State, he was indicted for sexually assaulting a Baylor uh, team soccer player in June 2015. And all of this was seemingly swept under the rug by the football program that he was at the head of at, at the time and was only brought to the light of day uh, when reviewed by uh, an independent uh, party, that being Pepper Hamilton LLP, uh, found that his uh, Bryles and his staff failed to properly handle Title IX issues on this team. Uh, directly tied to the sexual assault issues. He was fired. The athletic director and school president were both uh, forced to resign uh, due to this scandal. And it, it was just an all-out mess th there that you thought that Baylor was uh, never going to recover from, but you know their last two coaching regimes have somehow able been able to dig themselves out of it back to respectability. But I figured after this, having this kind of ugliness 
attached to his name that he would never get a coaching job in college athletics ever again. And especially not at an HBCU in which their head coach, which you could say what you want about him as a head coach in the NFL. Hugh Jackson has a great reputation as just a human being around the sports world. And for him to make that kind of risk, that kind of uh, you know, poor judgment in character in hiring someone really was a bad look for him, bad look for the Grambling program that I'm surprised that more people up top didn't shout this down uh, from uh, on Hugh Jackson saying that, tell him, hey, don't hire this guy. We don't, we're trying to build a respectable program here. We don't want someone with this past ugliness on them. I, I mean, listen, I'm all for second chances, but not when it, it pertains to someone who wants to cover up sexual assault allegations. You know, to, to me, you know, this, while it's maybe not along the same lines as Paterno, because Joe Paterno allowed a predator on the program and who was uh, molesting young children. To me, once you have your name attached to this, you can't be allowed back in this sport. You cannot in any way have a position of power in college football uh, once again. And it was oh, a really poor job, really poor choice uh, by Hugh Jackson that I hope you know, doesn't smear his reputation forever, but he should have never been allowed to make this choice. You know, It shouldn't have come to the the point where Art Bryles had to tell the uh, Grambling State that, oh, he was resigning from his position. It should have been, no, you're not happening. You're not coming in here. We're not allowing this at all. Now, Saturday was, to me, one of the most obnoxious things I've ever seen. And that was Coach K's final home game um, at, uh, no home with uh, Duke playing on uh, North Carolina. Duke would lose the game 94-81, which was kind of surprising after they had just blown North Carolina out. But why I call it obnoxious is not because Coach K shouldn't have his career celebrated. He's had a remarkable 40-year run there. Countless uh, you know, conference titles, uh, one what? Five national championships there, I believe it was. And, you know, you saw all of his former players uh, return to Cameron Indoor to celebrate him. Why I call it obnoxious is the fact that the cost of tickets for this game, uh, you know, in the upper deck alone, were going at four to $5,000. And you want to compare that to the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, there were uh, tickets only going for as high as $3,000. And remember, SoFi Stadium fills, uh, fits just over 70,000 people, while Cameron Indoor only seats about 9,300 people. 
and in attendance, you had um, stars across uh, the, the sports world, such as you know NBA legend Dirk Nowitzki, uh, Jock Peterson was there, uh, Justin Thomas was in the building, uh, current and former NBA NFL players such as Kyler Murray, T.O., uh, Todd Gurley, even actor Ken Jung were in the building. It, it just the whole thing kind of felt felt the obnoxious and, and over the top. It's one thing to celebrate the guy, but charging that kind of prices for the final game for a head coach. I please the average ticket price for Derek Jeter's final home game at Yankee Stadium was like two hundred and fifty dollars. I think the highest price was two thousand dollars. But for a head coach, I what the hell are we doing? To to me what was the only thing more shameful than that were a couple of his assistant coaches. I don't think it, it was John Shire. I think it was some of his like uh, grad uh, uh, student coaches on the staff completely shunned Hubert Davis on the handshake line after the game. And listen, I criticized this a couple weeks ago. I still don't understand why we have to have the handshake line in in college sports after a basketball game, but you were all willing to shake his hand um, when you kicked his ass um, in Durham uh, just about two, three weeks ago, and now you lose Coach K's final final game, and you're not going to shake his hand? Show a little class. Show, show a little bit of uh, respect there, please. A little bit of decency um, can, can go a long way. And, you know, decency is what I'm just hoping and praying for out of Major League Baseball. I'm still, I don't know whether I'm sitting here whistling in the dark about this, whatnot, but I'm remaining hopeful that decency can rule the day and we can get some kind of deal done at some point and, you know, have baseball get started by the end of April at the latest because right now what we should be talking about in baseball is you know spring training you know battles for roster spots the final few free agents still sitting out there I mean you still have 300 free agents sitting out there and what stinks is when this is all said and done the guys like Freddie Freeman you know Carlos Correa and the somewhat overrated Trevor Story they're gonna still get their money help Clay Carshaw will still probably get a decent contract, um, whether he resigns with the Dodgers or goes to the Texas Rangers or someone like that. It's going to be those bottom tier guys that are going to be inched out of the game because these teams realize that we'll go with a cheaper, younger option, and instead of that valuable veteran piece come off our bench that could put us over the top and some of this cheapness by some of these teams that's probably why Derek Jeter stepped down as the the Marlins CEO not just you know the infighting and disagreement that he was beginning to have with Bruce Sherman about spending um and the uh, size of his ownership share it was probably because Derek Jeter sees how awful that these owners are handling it 
and him being still a former player at heart, he didn't want this bad publicity, the smear that's going on ownership right now, and the, the disdain from the current players to head his direction. Because these guys, these players that are playing, while some of them were some of his peers, a lot of these guys grew up watching Jeter and still view him as a god. And now he didn't want anything about that changing. So, you know, they talk about it being a mutual agreement, him stepping down as CEO. A lot of it, I believe, is due to, you know, his disgruntledness toward Bruce uh, Sherman in willingness to spend and increase salary on this team, the extra 10 to 15 million that he thought was going to be added. But a lot of it is due to Derek Jeter wanting to protect his reputation with the, the pl current players, and I don't blame them. And I don't blame what these current players are fighting for. They're fighting for the future players. And, you know, you could say that Max Scherzer, you know, Garrett Cole, these big stars that are uh, knee-deep in it, they've already made their money, so it's not going to hurt them too, too much losing the 200 grand a day that they're losing out on. But they were there once. They Remember, they were those prospects at one point that were coming up and had to struggle to make ends meet the first couple of years uh, in their big league careers. They were the ones that had to, at one point, ride the buses and were making you know, only 25, 30 grand a year and having to live in apartments with six, seven other guys just to be able to afford rent. So they see the difficulty that the minor leaguers are going through, what players pre-arbitration go through, and they want to make sure those players, those young guys, how some of them who may never even see the light of day in big leagues don't have to go through the same difficulty and the same struggle that they had to. So while well, it sucks, baseball is not going on right now. I'm 100% on the player's side. And while no, it's annoying that they're not playing, I understand what they're fighting for. I hope they stay strong to what they're fighting for. I hope that they don't just cave and give in to what the owners want. Because remember, in the end, they're the product. They're what we pay our money to go see, not the owners. And hopefully, cooler heads will prevail on that sooner rather than later. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports when I'm 3 from Monday. March 7th, 2022. Everyone have a great week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Enjoy yourself and whatever you're going to be doing. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you! Thank you for all the fun! Thank you! Hey, shut up, will ya?
I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, and I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.